Hey, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin. How's it going today, Tom? Good morning, Don. It's going real well, man. Hanging, chilling, doing good. Good. Awesome. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're back with another uh, classic rock and roll album here and we're gonna today we're gonna talk about uh guns and roses appetite for destruction but um before we get started don't forget to subscribe like do all the things click all the buttons check out yes. our website inside the we actually have merch there if you're interested in some rock and roll t-shirts nice. uh, yeah, and so uh, we also do some work with a charity, and so Tom, tell us all about Music for Mark. Well, Music for Mark, we want to get it rocking, we want to get it rolling, so if you can help us out, what we do is we want to bring musical instruments to kids who don't have them and don't have any chance of ever getting them to keep the music alive. So musicformark.com, check it out. All we want to do is get musical instruments in the hands of kids who really want to play but don't have a chance to get out there and get what they need. So that's what we want to do. Awesome. That's what we're looking to do. And in 2023, anybody wants to give us a buzz or an email, connect with us to help us out with this situation would be fantastic. That'd be great. Yep. All right. So let's take a look at the band. The uh, Appetite for Destruction is the first album from Guns mm -hmm. and Roses and came out in July of 1987. To us, it seems like just yesterday, us young lads. <laughs> it's actually quite a bit of time. Wow. Um, yeah, I was actually still in college of this uh, when this was released. So, I was still uh, in jail. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. <laughs> so the band is made up of uh, a lot of pretty well-known figures. Axel Rose, lead vocalist. I'm sure pretty much everybody is aware of Axel. Uh, Slash as well as the guitar player. And, you know, again, I'm sure a lot of people know Slash. Uh, the rest of the band members were Izzy Stradlin was the other guitar player, Duff McKagan on bass guitar, and mm -hmm. Steven Adler on drums. Right. So the album was recorded uh, in over six months from January through June of 1987, and then released, like I said previously, in July of 1987. And at the time, the charts, uh, we were kind of coming out of you know kind of coming out of the 80s right it's 1987 and starting to you know get out of the whole hair metal thing is just still there <laughs> but you know it's not as as lively as it was three four years ago like 1984 85 that was kind of the peak of that i think go ahead say it it was it was coming to the end of the hair bands <laughs> the hair bands yeah they were coming to an end but Dude, the best hair bands says it all <laughs> Go ahead. Tom's not a fan. No. No. <laughs> so uh, one of the hair bands, Duff Leppard, was on the chart this year, 1987, with Hysteria, which was an yeah. enormous record for them. Great album, actually. Um, other great albums or uh, other albums that were on the chart at this time, uh, Joshua Tree by U2, which, which pretty much dominated this year. That was an extremely popular album and probably... Oh, yeah to this day, uh, U2's biggest album. Mm. Um, we also had Licensed Ill by the Beastie Boys, which was out there. That was a whole new thing with, you know, white rappers, which at the time was really unusual. Licensed Ill was a great album. It is a great <laughs> album. We oh should God. actually, we may actually do that one. Yeah. Uh, that even though it's fun. not technically rock, but it, it's pretty, it's a rocking album. Well, it's inside the album. We're okay. Yeah. 
We can we can take this wherever we want, Don. There you go. <laughs> it goes where we say it goes. Look, you're drinking early in the morning, so what does it's it matter? It's coffee. Oh, okay. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, we record at like 8.30 in the morning, so <laughs> we're fresh. It's the only choice we have. We're old. Yeah, old. <laughs> we're up early. So uh, there's two other albums, two pop albums uh, that were, were big that year. The first Whitney Houston album uh, mm -hmm. called Whitney. And then uh, Faith by George Michael was another popular album in 1987. I don't know if you know this. I'm a huge George Michael fan. Really? All kidding aside. I, I, thought, I always thought he was a fantastic artist. Great singer. Yeah, yeah. You got to have faith. You got it. I guess you do. <laughs> so uh the appetite for destruction peaked at number one on the u.s billboard charts and it became the seventh best selling album of all time in the united states as wow. well as the best-selling debut album ever yeah yep. and as of today it sold over 30 million uh copies worldwide making it one of the best-selling albums of all time amazing best-selling debut album I, I saw that i was like wow that that's interesting you know for a band to just come and have that much impact Very yeah powerful. yeah yeah and the, there are a few debut albums that are, are really strong but generally they're you know they're they're not the strongest albums for right for they're usually artists. like an introduction to the band and you go from yeah. there right you build on it yeah i agree with you let's get that album out get you guys out there but this was they were ready to rock right so they had been playing frequently on the L.A. club scene, the Sunset Strip, that whole area in, in Los Angeles in the mid 80s. So 85, 86, they were out there clubbing every night and playing shows. And they were going to release an EP back in 1985. But the original guitar player, Tracy Guns, decided to leave the band. And that's when Slash was brought in. So the EP project was scrapped. But. Funny enough, some of those songs that they were planning to record ended up on later Guns N' Roses albums, one on this album, one on um, the Use Your Illusion album. Use Your Illusion, yeah. Take a look at the cover art here. And so there was an original version. There's two versions of the cover for this album. The original version has this painting by Robert Williams, and the painting is called Appetite for Destruction. So that's where they got the idea, yeah. you know, for the, the name. And it depicted a robotic ra rapist about to be punished by a meta metal Avenger. Nice. So it was pretty, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's cartoony, but it's, it's kind of graphic. And after several music retailers refused to stock the album, the label compromised and then put the cover that we see now, the Celtic cross with the, the band members as skulls on, on the, on the cross. So that's, you know, that was a, it was a case of they couldn't sell it with that original cover. So they went ahead and changed it. Yeah. You know, the robotic rapist, you know, it's not easy to push. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a line? What a world. What line a world, that, yeah, I can't cross robotic yeah. rapist. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that's too far. <laughs> please well you think well the second album cover is really as we use the word a lot it's iconic it's a great album cover yeah I love it's, everything about it's, it. it's very recognizable you know people are, are familiar with it in general i think oh yeah um and then uh it, so the album was released in in like i said in uh 
1987 in July. In at the end of August, it debuted at number 182 on the Billboard album chart. Yep. But several months after its release, it had only sold 200,000 copies. So the record company, which was Geffen, was kind of walking away from the record. So like, you know, these record companies, they go all in on the stuff that was hot. And if it's not, they don't put any resources to it generally. So the radio stations did not originally want to play the band, well, uh, this, the first single, Welcome to the Jungle. And originally MTV hadn't, had any desire to air any of its music videos and again this is mid 80s is prime mtv time bands were being broken by video all the time like new bands were coming out all the you know all the that mid 80s techno you know new wave stuff was all all through mtv really that's how that was all broken a little aha for you aha yeah all that stuff (laughs) Uh aha (laughs) <laughs> so um it, the the record company was lobbying MTV for months to play the video like literally months and they finally convinced MTV to play the video for Welcome to the Jungle just once a night for three consecutive nights. Oh okay. And after they did that, Welcome to the Jungle became the most requested uh video on MTV and that success then allowed them to pitch the record to radio stations while selling them the promo copies of Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, and Sweet Child of Mine. So again, they, you know, they leveraged MTV to get airplay on the radio. It's wild. And uh, Welcome to the Jungle video, uh, Jim Carrey was in that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Check it out. Was he in the first scene, like when Axel comes off the bus? Yep, it was uh he was playing like a nutty guy on it. So yeah, Jim a young Jim Carrey, as they say. There you go. Is that now listen, I wanted my MTV back then. You know that. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in here. I mean, uh you know, classic album that most people love. So we'll start off with the first track. Uh sure. this this one is uh Welcome to the Jungle. Nice. Welcome to the jungle 
so this is uh i mean it's me this is like the ultimate opener song right the 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 music at the beginning is such a great buildup, mm -hmm. you know and it just they just tear into it right away so you can tell what's going on here you can tell that you know right away you get the vibe that this this band is is just dirty and rocking right it's got that the sound has that feel to it right it's kind of nasty yeah, well, you know, it, it's Axel's voice and, you know, thank God for Slash. But if, if you listen to the music in the background behind Slash and Axel Rose, it's a pretty basic beat. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a great drive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a straight ahead. Right. It's just straight ahead. Yeah. Rock and roll. Yeah. Straight ahead. The rock. way we like it. Yep. So this, the song is about Los Angeles and it kind of exposes the dark side of the city that many people encounter when they go there to pursue fame. So they knew this side of the city well, because in 1985, they lived in a, at a place on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles they called Hell House. Nice. And the house was often filled with uh, drugs, alcohol, and groupies. Oh, wow. How's that hell? Isn't that heaven? <laughs> <laughs> well, depends on where you're at. Drugs, alcohol, and groupies. No beds, no, no, just drugs. Right. No, yeah, well, yeah, right. Bed bugs. You're probably right. Beds. There probably weren't a lot of beds. It was probably a lot of kids like just crashing on the floor, right? Uh, uh, listen, hey, like you said, you're talking about kids. And you know, it's funny, LA now, now LA is even worse now. They should rewrite this. Oh my God. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> So Axel uh, wrote the lyrics when he was in Seattle and when he was in Seattle, you know, a much smaller city, it gave him a perspective on the size of Los Angeles and, you know, how big and, and sprawling it is. Was he the lead singer in uh, L.A. Guns, Axel Rose? Is that where it all started? No, that was the band, I think, that Tracy Guns started after he left. Oh, Okay. I so Tracy it. Guns was in X is Guns and Roses. He's the Guns and Guns and Roses. Yeah, but the then guns. he left and made his band LA Guns. And then oh, I got you. So Slash came and then in. Slash came in and played guitar for Guns and Roses. Gotcha. So Slash said uh, he was at his house and he had the riff he was fooling around with, and Axel came over and then put the lyrics together and the band sort of arranged it. Um, and he said, that's how they worked. You know, the whole band, someone would come in with an idea and the whole band would give some input, you know, so they all kind of uh, really kind of worked on the songs. So it's not, you know, even though a lot of people think it's, it's Axel and, and Slash, everybody was contributing musically, uh, in this band. Uh, it helps. I mean, yeah. Right. It helps together. Yeah. It helps you anybody. keep the band happy. Right. Uh, you hope, but you know, certainly the big personas with Slash and Axel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by far. I mean, you know, you, you can't avoid that. The, you know, it's just the stage presence. The way they were on stage was amazing and, and great, too. Um, and punch in the face. Yeah. You know, and it, it, for people who are seeing Guns N' Roses today, it, it's not the same band that it was in the mid 80s. You know, it was mayhem. You know, they would go, the shows would stop because Axel got pissed off. They walked <laughs> off stage in St. Louis once and it caused a riot. That sure. He got pissed off at, at uh, somebody taking a picture and he said, the security sucks, I'm out of here and just walks off stage in the middle of the show. Nice, yeah. As a sidebar, yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I saw them in Giant Stadium. 
That's when they first, they were actually did the recording for Paradise City. Yeah, yeah. Was that during the Metallica where they toured with Metallica? Because uh, I think the, I was the, at that show. Here's a, here's a show for you. Let's just throw it out there. It probably fits nowhere in what we're talking about, but uh, they opened up for Deep Purple and Aerosmith. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Look at that, right? So it's like, wow, what interesting. And I, I learned the lesson that day, and so did Guns N' Roses. I'll throw it out to you. You couldn't hear Guns N' Roses, right? Deep Purple got a little louder. Aerosmith hit the stage. It was totally like Aerosmith's night. You know what I mean? I could, I could just picture Steven Tyler backstage with the master volume turning everything oh, down. Yeah. Oh, right? absolutely. That's how it worked back then. You had to work your way up the pecking order. They didn't care who you were. That's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. So uh, Axel did say that he one time when he was a kid, he spent a night in this, a Queens schoolyard, uh, you know, before he was in the band. And this uh, black guy had come up to him and it was late at night. And he goes, you're in the jungle. You're going to die. And that's where he kind of got the, uh, you know, that's where he got that line from the song, which is interesting. I like it. All Maybe right. So let's same inflection. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to die. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So let's dive into track number two. This one is called It's So Easy. Mm-hmm. So this one uh, was written at the time when the band was coming up on the rise. You know, they're playing shows. They've got some local popularity, but they had no money. So their bank accounts had yet to catch up with their success. And so what was so easy was getting girls. There were groupies everywhere ready to take care of the band's needs. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I should have picked you know, up a guitar. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, today this is it's looked at in different light and it's, you know, a little misogynistic and and all those sort of (laughs) things. But the other side of it is that at the time, you know, this stuff was going on and these guys were not fake at all. This is what they lived. this. They were living this, you know, crazy drugs, sex, drugs and rock and roll lifestyle. Are you saying today we can't say chick steak rock and roll? Is that what you're saying? I think we can still say that. I have to check oh, my book on things you can say. Uh, yeah, chicks, say. chicks is out. Chicks is out, though. <laughs> so, you know, they're not posers. That's kind of my point. And in the 80s, you had a lot of these bands who kind of tried to, you know, 80, in, the, in the 80s, you started with the hair bands and then the heavier metal like Metallica and the the, the thrash and, and this kind of stuff started bubbling up. And so you got some of these hair bands that were trying to seem tougher and, you know, a little bit more rock and roll and more real. 
you know, when, in the most cases, a lot of them were were kind of fake, I think. But these guys were, this was how they were living. Yeah, they were out of their minds. Yeah, they, pretty they much. They really were. They were deep into it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Especially the drug scene. Yeah, it got really bad. And we're going to talk about that in a, a couple of songs. But um, the uh, this song was actually written, It's So Easy, was written by Duff McKagan, who's the bass player. And uh, it, it was released as the first single for Appetite for Destruction, but it just flopped. It didn't gain any traction at all. Um, they followed it then later on with Welcome to the Jungle, then Sweet Child of Mine, and Sweet Child of Mine hit number one in the U.S. You sure did. All right, so let's jump ahead. We're going to go on to the next track here, which is Night Train. like that huh? he smokes a cigarette with style well listen look at us with these style. guys yeah these guys are the original like they're the original swag you know they, they were strutting <laughs> oh, i remember yeah. i remember them going on tv in in the mid 80s and some award show and this was before they had you know the the five second or seven second delay right and they were just hammered there was slash and izzy i think and you could see they were just been pounding jack daniels uh, and they were just every other word was fuck this fuck that. it yeah. was hilarious uh but this song is uh night train if anybody doesn't know is a very cheap wine that guns and roses drank a lot of while recording appetite for destruction it's also the drink of choice for bums and hobos well don welcome to my world <laughs> <laughs> In the the 80s, 80s, I I, I used to do a lot of night train. And you know my story, you know my back. Yeah. 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 It's literally the thing about I always explain to everybody about night train. It was like a dollar a pint, uh, two bucks a quart, you know, and uh, it's cheap. But it was literally drugs in a bottle. It affected you in a way you could never imagine. Really? For, For two bucks, you were blitzed. Uh-huh. not just drunk like, like spaced just out. beyond your mind hammered because huh? it, it's the cheapest crap you could ever put in a bottle it's the bottom of the barrel is what yeah. they used to say of, of so it literally i used to say it was drugs in a bottle for wow. two bucks and that's why people would we used to say me and my buddy we used to we used to get on it's time to get on the train that's what we said before this song came out it's time to get on the train so we would drink night train and play scrabble oh my god <laughs> Uh, dude, so you're really hardcore, huh? 
True story. Dude, That's I like love, family night activities. I love, I love saying like that. Like scab, scrapple. Up, we would wake up, say it's time to get on a train and sit and play scrabble. <laughs> that was my life, boy. Wow, you had some problems, buddy. I, yeah, I don't anymore, thank God, but I can relate to the train. <laughs> can, can you relate. still play? Can you play Scrabble to this day? Not as well. I was not as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. True that's story. True story. The train. That's crazy. Uh, so, uh, again, it's, you know, this is about, the song is just about how they were reckless and crazy and poor, and that's the only alcohol they could afford. Reckless, crazy, and poor. Thank you. you after, <laughs> yeah, so, like, before they got famous, after every show, they would get drunk and walk back home, you know, back home singing the lyrics of Night Train until it finally came together. So this is a song that came out of them being hammered, which is oh. crazy. Oh, it's, it's crazy. Too funny. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to talk to them about getting on the train. It would be a great talk. Yeah, right. Can you I, imagine? I could, tru- I could truly relate. I'd love to hear their stories. I think you'd lose them when you broke out the Scrabble board, though. <laughs> well, I'm talking about totally irresponsibility. That was my day. How about that? Night train and Scrabble. Uh, my, parents, my parents were proud. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> There's my boy. <laughs> There's my boy. <laughs> Look at him. He just got an eight-letter word. Eight-point word. He used Q. He used Q. <laughs> Without the U. It's insane. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the next track. This one is Out to Get Me. The other thing about this record, and you see it here in this song, is they like to curse in their songs. And in 1987, that was not a good thing. (laughs) They didn't play this on the radio because of these things. (laughs) Explicit lyrics. Yeah, exactly. This was the start of that, that. right? I love that. It well told you which it told you which were the good albums to get. (laughs) And I'm the kind of guy to it. When you're a kid. You know, and just I I don't even know if it's necessary. If it's just like you know why it should be in there, you know, you should just you know fuck this and fucking that. I I don't know. I don't know. It's not I your think, thing. 
Nah, it's not. I find it not necessary just in, in the music. You know, for me, yeah, listen, I, I like music. I like melody and I like great lyrics. And yeah, uh, I, I think it's a shortcut to uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Like being outrageous. We're outrageous. You know? And yeah. I, 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 I mean, it's that. a bit of, you know, it's I think it's a bit it's they're young and the audience is young and it's like, you know, they're angry and angsty. And uh, and I think it's just a reinforcement of that, you know? I get it. I get it. So this song railed against the unwarranted harassment from authorities that the Guns N' Roses members often faced. Uh, at some point somewhere, someone was out to get the whole band, but mainly Axl Rose. So he had a lot of this paranoia. It wasn't unfounded. <laughs> But there were a few problems for those who had their sights set on the singer. He couldn't be caught. He was innocent and couldn't be broken. So, you know, that's the, so the song is. So, you you know, no matter what you no matter what you try, you're not going to be able to get to me. Mm. Um, except, for the, except for the demons. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> demons, that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. Yeah. So Duff uh, McKagan again uh, said that. Uh, the cops busted down their door one night looking for Axel. They wanted him to answer for what turned out to be a bogus rape charge. Uh, so there was all sorts of crazy shit going on with these guys at this time. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're pure insanity. Yeah. And, you know, it just shows up in in every song. And, you know, what you, we were just saying, I don't I don't think Duff gets enough credit for actually being he was kind of semi stable in the band. Yeah, he probably was the most stable one. Steven Adler, the drummer, was off his rocker. <laughs> off his rocker. Slash was was he had a huge issue. Izzy, they all were using heroin and drinking yeah. like Jack Daniels, like it was water. Um, I, I don't I know how to... much Axel did in terms of drugs. I'm sure he drank right. a lot, but you know, he was he was a diva at the time. He used to not show up uh, at one time at Madison Square Garden. The show was supposed to start like, you know, 730, whatever the opening act came on. He refused to go on because it was Friday the 13th. He wouldn't uh, go on until midnight at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, there's the demons we're talking <laughs> about. Like he didn't know it was scheduled. <laughs> no, he knew. He knew. But yeah. he was he sat in the limousine. <clears throat> it's funny. I, I got that story from uh, I was in a poker game and I was playing poker with a guy who did electric at Madison Square garden and he's the one oh, who told me go. that story he said he was sitting in the limo until midnight and then they went on um you know and these through, days through the I years I, I that, but. we were talking about uh I, I saw interviews about with steve adler you know and uh, he yeah. was he was a sweetheart of a guy who just just got beat up you, you felt so bad for him man yeah, 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 he was on one of those rehab shows in the 90s, I think. Oh, my God. You Dr. know, one of those Drew. reality shows. Dr. Yeah, <laughs> which I always thought those shows were so awful. How do you put oh. that on TV for somebody trying to recover? Wow. And and uh, it was sad to watch because he just kept relapsing and stuff. But Well, they pay him each show. He'd come back each show. He'd go buy dope with the money they paid him for the show. Yeah, probably. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, listen. Yeah, listen, I, I get it. I fully understand. But I forgot about those Dr. True shows. Horrible. Yeah, that was yeah. awful. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next song. Hey, it's a song about drugs. Mr. Brownstone. Great song. <laughs>
So, uh, heroin, Mr. Brownstone is heroin. <laughs> if anybody hasn't figured that out yet, it's not a common slang term for heroin or wasn't, but it is brown. And it was likely that that's where the dealer got his. So they were saying Mr. Brownstone was the, the heroin dealer, I guess. Yeah, I, I would think, uh, from, yeah, people have told me along the way that, uh, it's the building where you would go cop. Oh, that probably makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Brownstone. Yeah. Right. You know, and, uh, so the whole idea of it's usually an apartment building, something to that effect where you go to cop. It's not. So it's uh, not that I know, but I'm just throwing it out there for yeah. <laughs> something, yeah. Something, I, something I read. Something you read. <laughs> so they, uh, you know, he talks about, yeah, I used to, now I get up around whenever I used to get up on time and kind of meaning mm. that he doesn't care anymore because he's just so obsessed with heroin and that's, yeah. that's his life. This song is a great song. I've always loved this song. It's my favorite Guns N' Roses song. And the reason being is it's from the heart. This one, they're really, they're like, right out like oh my god what are we gonna do i used to do a little but a little wasn't working so i had to do more and more yeah right. that's that's the sacrifice you know you give yourself up to that shit and you can't get off it for sure yeah yeah so and that's why it's, it's a like problem complete. for so many yeah oh uh, uh, all right so let's dive into surge it definitely is uh so let's dive into something a little bit happier <laughs> this one is paradise city So this song, like Welcome to the Jungle, is inspired by Los Angeles, where the band was living at the time. And the verses deal with the rough life on the streets, but the chorus is based on Axl Rose's memories of the Midwest with the images of green grass 
innocence and possibility. Ah, there you go. <laughs> you know, I have a confession to make as I listen to this album, and I there's something about Guns N' Roses that doesn't resonate with me, but then there's some songs that you just say, my God, that's good, you know, and this is one of them. It's a great yeah. song. Great well, song. And you can tell, you know, <laughs> the great songs from the past, you, you hear them like these days with cover bands, you know, in bars and stuff like that. <laughs> and so I was I was at a bar, you know, a month or two ago and I, uh, the band was playing, you know, uh, Paradise City and everything and just rocking out to it. Great song. I have to tell you, I'll give you my cover band story. Uh, I'm out with Cheryl. We stop in as a cover band playing. The girl starts singing Dream On. I say, grab your coat. <laughs> I swear to God, you can ask, ask my wife. I said, that's sacrilege. That's sacrilege. No. no one should be singing Dream On in a bar unless it's Steven Tyler. Yeah, but they're doing it, Tom. Oh, I'm done, and that's why I'm staying away, but that's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's hilarious. Grab your coat. <laughs> Slash wanted the uh the chorus to be take me down to the paradise city where the girls are fat and they got big titties. He hated, he hated the grass's green line, but the band overruled him to make the more song more radio friendly. Yeah. Fat with big titties, now what? What's so bad? Is that explicit literally? <laughs> <laughs> I was back then. It's not now, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. You could use titties today. You just can't use the word fat. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is this is the only track on the album that has uh, a prominent synthesizer, and synthesizer, yes. yeah, and that was Axel's idea, and he plays the synth on this. Oh wow! I, yeah. I didn't know who it was. I thought maybe they brought somebody into the studio. That's yeah, great. no, he plays keyboards. So, uh, okay. you know, he played on November Rain. He plays that piano part and everything. So, yeah. um, you know, so that was Axel's idea. Um, and this is the first song that the original lineup of Slash, Stephen Adler, Duff, Axel, and Izzy all wrote together. So oh, wow. all five members are credited as writers. And according to Duff, they started working on it during one of their first rehearsals and just started with some lyrics that uh, that he brought in uh, that he had in a notebook, that Duff's had in a notebook, so. Yeah, and they, um, they did a video for this that was pretty much a live performance piece together. It was the one from Giant Stadium. Yeah. yeah. It was a great video. Yeah, yeah, so uh, great song, legendary song. It really is. And uh, still played. warm up still yeah there you go still still played by cover bands around the world <laughs> grab my coat <laughs> grab your coat cheryl right here <laughs> the next one is a track called my michelle
So this one was written about Michelle Young. It's actually a girl who was a friend of the band at the time. And when she was traveling to a gig with the band, Elton John's Your Song came on the radio, and she remarked how she always wanted a song written about her. She uh, said she was grateful that they did not sugarcoat her life in the song because she was one of these groupies and was all in with these guys in terms of the, you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll thing. Yeah. You always want a song written about you that starts off with porn, heroin and death. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's a winning combination. Hey, thank you so much. Elton John. It was Elton John. From Elton John to, <laughs> to porno and, and a dead mom. This is your song. <laughs> heroin and death so like we said before early on uh, the band had a support network of women who kept them fed and sheltered and and you know took care of other things did you come and, up with that phrase support network <laughs> so no that's that's a direct quote from the groupies <laughs> a that's, support a, that's what they call themselves yeah there you go i need me a support network dot you know but it I was want. you know it was these girls were their friends who had the similar sensibilities and unhealthy habits <laughs> friends with benefits and many other things yeah exactly yes uh so she was hoping for something sweet and asked for a song about her but <laughs> axel instead delivered a, a, this lyric based on her hard scrabble life Wow. And uh, she said, she actually said at the time, I didn't care because I was so fucked up. But uh, yeah, exactly. what it says is all true. My dad does distribute porno films and my mom did die. Mm. So uh, it's, a, it's a true story. Yeah. So the, the, lyric, the lyrics just came naturally. <laughs> yeah. It just flowed, right? It's just telling the story. Yeah, it, as we're talking about Guns N' Roses here, you know, as I listen to the songs, the one thing you can always say about a really good band or a great band mm -hmm. is uh, they have their sound. If it comes on, you know it's them. There's right. no way around it. No, so I was just thinking about this whole album. It's it's their sound, which oh, you got to yeah. give them credit for. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, Slash creates a lot of it. And I don't know, through the years, he's progressed. And, uh, you know, you see a different side of Slash. But he's a tremendous guitar player to start with. Oh, yeah. Uh, not, not just the sound he gets out of his guitar on this album, but he's a great blues player. I've seen him play with John Mayer. I've seen him yep. play with B.B. King. The, the guy can play. Yeah, I actually saw him. Uh, I saw Velvet Revolver at uh, Starland Ballroom, oh, wow. which, is, which oh, wow. is a club here in New Jersey. So it's maybe 2,000 people. Tops, wow, that must have been if great, that much. though, man. Wow. But it was insane. So we were right up on the stage and like literally feet in front of Slash. And the guy is rock and roll. He's just like, yeah, there's no it's there. It, you know, you, you might think it's a put on. It's not. It's just him. That's who he is. You know, so he is. But just amazing. And it, it, that band was three. Three of them were Guns N' Roses people. And then Scott Weiland on um, on vocals. So it was very <laughs> close to Guns, but. Yeah, I would love to see that. The Starland's a great place. For those that don't know in New Jersey, we've had some great times at the Starland Ballroom. Yes. Little, one time I went to the Starland and <laughs> Leslie West was playing. Not and, nice. Uh, dude, it was, it was nice right up until the point he made them put his amp up to like 22. He was melting. <laughs> <laughs> he was melting 22. people. Oh, dude, it was like so crazy. It was that's, like, that's <laughs> insane. Like, oh, dude. Jeez. Well, Leslie West lost it a little while ago, but that's all good. I digress. 
Yeah. Back to Guns and Roses. All right. So let's move on. We'll go on to track number eight. This one is Think About You. So this track was actually written by Izzy Stradlin, which, you know, a lot of people, I think, first of all, I don't know how many people actually know Izzy. Right. Um, right. I don't think people think of him as a songwriter in the band. I think everybody thinks that Slash and Axel are the guys well, who, who create all the music, but it's not yeah, true. They were the band. It, it was a band think. effort. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, they were, they were a band. It's just that the popularity exploded with... You know, Slash had his look, Axel right. had his attitude. The personalities are what catch yeah. people's eye. Yep, yeah. yeah. Is he? You wouldn't even know he was on stage. <laughs> Serious. He was Don't just tell Izzy that. He was just, well, no, he was a great part of the band, but he was always in the background. Right. Well, you, you think about it, you've got two personalities who are like on a scale of one to 10 in terms of vibrance and, and kind of look at me. Yep. They're like 50, you know, so you got Slash and Axel both who are just have these personalities that people are just drawn to. And I hate to put it, but, you know, I guess you could say rhythm guitar, backup guitar. He was the backup guitarist. I mean, it, rhythm guitar. You know, yeah. When you have... Yeah. I mean, they're both really, you know, they're a lot. They're kind of like the Stones in terms of they're, they're both playing different parts, you know. Right. A lot gotcha. of bands, you have the the two guitars are playing the same thing, and then there's some bands where, you know, one guy's doing one riff, another guy's doing another riff, and then it comes together and sounds really great together. Perfect. So this song is about falling in love, and it was written by Izzy before he joined uh, Guns N' Roses. And Tracy Guns, who uh, was quoted as saying, it's about Monique Lewis, who everybody in the band dated at one time. So this is one of these girls who was dating each of the guys in different times. And at, yeah, dated. <laughs> <laughs> and Axel actually has a tattoo of her on his arm. Oh boy. So that's uh, Izzy's girlfriend ended up on Axel's arm. He must've been on the train that night. <laughs> <laughs> the train. Get nice. on the train, Don. He must've been playing Scrabble. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. Double words go, my friend. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's move on to track number yeah. nine. This is probably the most well-known Guns N' Roses song of all time, and it's Sweet Child of Mine. So this one was, uh, the lyrics were written by Axel. It was a poem that he had written for his, um, about his girlfriend, Ever, Evan, Ever, Aaron, <laughs> Aaron oh. Everly, <laughs> oh. who was the daughter of Don Everly from the Everly oh. Brothers. Yeah. There you go. So after dating for four years they got married with a, a quickie wedding in in las vegas in 1990 but nine months later the marriage was annulled with everly claiming abuse so claiming uh, claiming yeah. we don't know i don't you know what, you gotta throw those words in that's all good i i don't find it hard to believe that he smacks somebody around uh, we'll edit that out <laughs> <laughs> yes um when uh sweet child of mine was released as the third single in june of 1988 it made a steady climb to the top bringing the album with it and the song yep. hit number one in september of 1988 yeah uh so in the wake of sweet child they re-released uh welcome to the jungle and then it became a hit song yeah it, it was a major let me ask you don i got a question for you buddy answer it if you can you ever have one of those songs that you'll never listen to again uh not really i know you have a bunch of those but right. i really don't get i you know i don't listen to it as often but yeah. you know i i get this is it one <laughs> yeah the, you know and that's what people don't realize is how played out songs used to uh, get because uh, you this... didn't you didn't have as many places to listen you know yeah this this was on constant man had, if you were in a big city you had maybe two rock stations yeah you know if you weren't in a big city you had one rock station and you would hear sweet child of mine every hour <laughs> yeah yeah every on the hour <laughs> yeah yeah gotcha. so this, this is another one where the guitar player slash was just fooling around had this riff 
Yeah. Um, he thought it was silly and wanted nothing to do with it, but Axel loved it and had him keep playing it. Uh, and then Izzy came in and added some chords on top of it. So again, here you got that, you got that riff and then Izzy's like, bang, bang, you know, behind it. Yeah. Um, and then the song came together as, you know, they're kind of jamming on this stuff. And Slash still considers it the worst Guns N' Roses song, but he's got to yeah. play it every night because they're, yeah. you know, they're out touring now. So the, yeah, he said it was night. like pulling teeth, putting this song together. Yeah, I, I yeah. imagine. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's a long song, too. You know what I I I saw a quote in talking in, when he talks about this. He said that uh, we built up this bad boy persona, and then we wrote this song that was like a ballad, and yeah. he, he found conflict in it. You know, which is well, kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, about that, this whole album is so charging forward. It's so heavy and fast, and you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not meta- it's not like early Metallica, which is just like bonkers fast and, and pushing right. forward. But it's still, you know, you've got 12 songs on the album and 11 of them are like, you know, so I think you need a break. You need a ballad in oh, there. And you would die to write a song like that. Let's not kid ourselves. It's yeah. a tremendous song. And it's the most popular song they have. So, in you that, know, and I find it interesting, you know, Joe Walsh, another great guitar player often talked about he'd be sitting jamming and we, we covered it. And yeah. uh, Glenn Fry walked in and said, my God, what are you playing? And he said, I'm just loosening up <laughs> yeah. before I go on stage. And yeah, we into, I believe it was life in the fast lane. Yeah. Yeah. We've had that story over and over and over again. You know, we had it with Eddie Van Halen and then so, a couple wow, of other guitar that? players. It yeah. It a song. That's yeah. It's stuff. amazing. See, that, I, that stuff. I love when you and just it, piece that. Yeah, and it shows you that the artists sometimes can't tell which songs are going to be, you know, most times I think they can't tell which songs are going to be popular, you oh. know? Oh, my God. No, I couldn't imagine. What, imagine having to write a hit. Who wants to think, think about that? You want to write a that's song? That's a lot of pressure, right? A lot of pressure. got to write a hit. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of pressure. All right, let's get back into the fast <laughs> songs. This one is yeah. You're Crazy. So this song changed a lot when it was originally 
uh, written. It was a slow acoustic song that they wrote while they were sitting around in the living room one night. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> you're fucking crazy. <laughs> Look at that, Don. We got, we got some mad skills, man. Yeah, we're good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're good. So they're sitting around jamming it, and they go, okay, hey, we got something here. Let's go down to uh, the, the studio that they're working out of. And uh, then they... Uh, they upped the tempo to about uh, 20 times what it was before, made it a lot faster, turned everything up to 12. And all of a sudden they had like, they, they were going at this breakneck speed on the song and they actually, Axel enjoyed making the adjustment and they were real happy with the results. And, you know, it's again, it's super fast. Um, Just the driving beat, you know yeah. I mean? It, what it is, is they're taking these basic driving beats and turning them into Guns N' Roses. Yeah, Axel's exactly. Voice slash his guitar. Right. You know, it's if it was done by somebody else, you wouldn't even recognize the song. No, right? no, of course not. Yeah. And I have to tell you, you know, Axel's voice, one of a kind. Yeah, yeah, you know? I I like it and hate it. You yeah. know, both at the same time, but uh, actually, you know, I think actually, it fits well with with what they're doing. It, it, what they it, listen, it was what it was. He actually has two voices. You, you notice he has a deeper voice he uses sometimes and that high shrieking or shrill uh, sound. And it's interesting that sometimes they overdub one on top of the other. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you get a lot of you get a lot of Axel. A lot of Axel. All Axel all the time. <laughs> nice. That's what we like. <laughs> There's your sound bite. All Axel all the time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to track number 11. This one is Anything Goes. Anything. This one to me is kind of a throwaway on the album. And to me, it kind of sounds like Aerosmith, right? Dude, I, I didn't I didn't bring it up uh, a few songs back, but you big influence on their whole oh yeah approach to the music flow and is Aerosmith. No yeah, doubt. Yeah, without no a doubt. doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, you can hear it yeah. in a lot of songs. I think here you really, really hear it. It sounds like a Joe Perry riff almost. Right. Um, good. No, no, I'm trying to think because um, the other guitarist in Aerosmith, uh, Brad Whitford. Brad Whitford. If you ever watch the two of them play off there, you know Brad Whitford's in the back and Joe Perry's up front. Yes, 
But it's Whitford a, is yeah. killing it the whole night. Yeah. Killing it. But again, yeah. another band where you have two guitar players who are like the Stones. Oh. You know, it, it they're it's two separate riffs, you know, and, and but two it all comes riffs. together great. I've watched them on uh I watched them jam, just jamming with the mics on, the two of them. Oh my god, man. Brad Whitford, so right? Tremendous guitar player. Tremendous. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. Yeah, so they do have a sound of Aerosmith. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely a big influence. And this song was actually written in 1984, so it's an old, old song. Um, and it was it's rarely been performed live. So maybe the band feels about it the way I do, that it's kind of a tosser and a filler on this album. Yes. But we need another song. Yeah. So anyway, all right, let's move on to the album closer. And this one is uh, Rocket Queen. So this song, uh, it was actually written about uh, Barbie Von Grief. Oh, she Barbie hung out with name? the. What's that? Is that Barbie's last name? I guess I so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's real or fake or what. Um, she hung out with the band in their early years, along with her roommate Pamela Manning, and Slash called her a queen of the underground scene. Ah, oh, there um, you go. Not a lot is known about her, but she's not the girl moaning in the song. So it, it, later on in the song, we we can't play the whole song here, but um, there is uh, a woman with sexual moans that's in the background of the song. Is that how it's written out? Sexual moans? just I, I, Moaning I, and other sex sounds that appear in the middle of the song were recorded while Axl Rose was having sex with a woman in the recording studio. How fantastic. Terrific. And she was drummer Stephen Adler's girlfriend. Ah, uh, so in other sounds, do you hear, is it like a bedboard hitting a wall? What, what's the other sound? What could it possibly be? <laughs> it's just kind of like, ah, 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 hey, reach out to us and tell us how you feel about that question. <laughs> so uh, the woman's name was uh, Adriana Smith, and she did the deed for the band one night uh -huh. when she was mad at Adler. Take one for the team. Yeah, for that song, there was also something uh, I tried to work out with various people, a recorded sex act, Axel said. 
it was somewhat spontaneous but premeditated something i wanted to put on the record it was a sexual song and it was a wild night in the studio yeah there you go i'm gonna start writing music (laughs) first you have to get a drummer with a hot girlfriend this is true (laughs) this is true i'm with you you know it's fascinating i'm just listening to the whole album you know and Maybe that's what it is, you know, because as Guns N' Roses came along, I, I I went through so much rock and roll in my life. Let's face it, you know, the 70s, early 80s, right? You know, just sure. Rock and roll, uh, for me, growing up hearing stuff from the 60s, the 70s, the Beatles. Yeah, you hear, I hear a lot of the same riffs. They're just in Guns N' Roses sound. The right. The guitar riffs, you know what I mean? It's like boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba Oh, it's yeah. All, it's and- all been played before. And like you said, there's a heavy Aerosmith influence with these guys. You know, you hear it very frequently. But then again, as Keith Richards once said, all you need is four chords. (laughs) Yeah, right? It's rock and roll, baby. He truly believed in that. He could write (laughs) anything with four chords. Yeah, and he does. (laughs) He's the best. He's the best, man. And he's still alive. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So that's Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Wow. You know what? Again, one of those albums that everybody had. You know, I was thinking, uh, when did CDs come into play? Was it around this time now? Yeah, it was like 84, 85. They started, really, I guess. Yeah, so I was wondering, actually, if I had the album or I had the CD. I was trying to figure out. probably had the CD. This is really, 87 was really kind of now where people were moving away from vinyl. Yeah, yeah, Um, that's what I was thinking about. I couldn't, hmm. I, I know I had it. I couldn't put it into where it was. Yeah. Maybe even cassette. Who knows? There you go. Could have been. Could have been. All right. Great. Good job, man. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for watching. We're on YouTube. We're on every podcast platform out there. So listen to us, share us, get your friends and family to listen, click the buttons, do the things. That would be awesome. Push, hit, whatever you got to do. Yeah. We'll be back soon with another great record. I can't wait. All right. Have a good day. See you, Don. Bye.